Welcome to Bible News Press. Our goal is to discuss biblical faith beyond cliches and buzzwords, whether such words are religious or political. Sometimes we sit around the table and fellowship. Sometimes we do a little time travel. It is all part of our journey with our Abba Father, who has given us the key to life. We do it with Jesus, and we do it together. Welcome. Hello, I'm Laura. I will be reading Acts chapter 23 from the World English Bible. Paul, looking steadfastly at the council, said, Brothers, I have lived before God in all good conscience until today. The high priest, Ananias, commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. Do you sit to judge me according to the law and command me to be struck contrary to the law? Those who stood by said, Do you malign God's high priest? Paul said, I didn't know, brothers, that he was high priest, for it is written, You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. But when Paul perceived that the one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. Concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. When he had said this, an argument arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the crowd was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees confess all of these. A great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' part stood up and contended, saying, We find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or angel has spoken to him, let's not fight against God. When a great argument arose, the commanding officer, fearing that Paul would be torn in pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Cheer up, Paul, for as you have testified about me at Jerusalem, so you must testify also at Rome. When it was day, some of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under a curse, saying that they would neither eat nor drink until they had killed Paul. There were more than forty people who had made this conspiracy. They came to the chief priests and the elders and said, We have bound ourselves under a great curse to taste nothing until we have killed Paul. Now, therefore, you with the council inform the commanding officer that he should bring him down to you tomorrow, as though you were going to judge his case more exactly. We are ready to kill him before he comes near. But Paul's sister's son heard they were lying in wait, and he came and entered into the barracks and told Paul. Paul summoned one of the centurions and said, Bring this young man to the commanding officer, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the commanding officer and said, Paul the prisoner summoned me and asked me to bring this young man to you. He has something to tell you. The commanding officer took him by the hand and, going aside, asked him privately, What is it that you have to tell me? He said, The Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow, as though intending to inquire somewhat more accurately concerning him. Therefore, don't yield to them, 
for more than forty men lie in wait for him, who have bound themselves under a curse to neither eat nor drink until they have killed him. Now they are ready, looking for the promise from you. So the commanding officer let the young man go, charging him, Tell no one that you have revealed these things to me. He called to himself two of the centurions and said, Prepare two hundred soldiers to go as far as Caesarea, with seventy horsemen and two hundred men armed with spears, at the third hour of the night. He asked them to provide animals that they might set Paul on one and bring him safely to Felix the governor. He wrote a letter like this. Claudius Lysias, to the most excellent governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came with the soldiers and rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman. Desiring to know the cause why they accused him, I brought him down to their council. I found him to be accused about questions of their law, but not to be charged with anything worthy of death or imprisonment. When I was told that the Jews lay in wait for the man, I sent him to you immediately, charging his accusers also to bring their accusations against him before you. Farewell. So the soldiers, carrying out their orders, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. But on the next day, they left the horsemen to go with him and returned to the barracks. When they came to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they also presented Paul to him. When the governor had read it, he asked what province he was from. When he understood that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will hear you fully when your accusers also arrive. He commanded that he be kept in Herod's palace. That is the end of chapter 23. Luke makes a point of saying that Paul looked steadfastly at the council. Other translations say earnestly or with intent and purpose. And again, he introduces himself in a way that he thinks they can relate to where they will listen to his message along the lines of what he has stated before about to the Jews I was as a Jew. However, if there is one thing the account has demonstrated so far is that the crowd, the mob, is at least fickle, and most of the rulers are simply intent on maintaining their position as religious or political leaders. Now, to be sure, it does not say why Ananias had Paul slapped right after Paul said he had lived in all good conscience. And as Paul's reaction to this shows, he didn't expect it. Paul didn't seem to think he was saying anything inflammatory at all. And not knowing that it was the high priest that he spoke to, he had no problem calling him a whitewashed wall. There are a couple of things to notice and remember here. Of course, you remember the time when Jesus referred to the Pharisees as whitewashed tombs, indicating that they were looking good on the outside, but they were filthy on the inside. So the tone here is similar. What this phrase, whitewashed wall, reminded me of was the Hebrew phrase that kept coming up in the Old Testament to refer to men or males, and that was, he who urinates on a wall. So it doesn't say specifically here, but I wonder if this term, whitewashed wall, is sort of like calling the high priest a whitewashed toilet or latrine. Because otherwise, why a wall? It just makes sense that maybe that's implied by that. 
cross-references in one of my Bibles showed that the law that Paul was referring to is Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 1 through 3. This is what it says, quote, If there is a dispute between men and they come to court, that the judge may judge them, and they justify the righteous and condemn the wicked, then it shall be, if the wicked man deserves to be beaten, that the judge will cause him to lie down and be beaten in his presence, according to his guilt, with a certain number of blows. Forty blows he may give him, and no more, lest he should exceed this and beat him with many blows above these, and your brother be humiliated in your sight. End quote. This would probably remind you of what happened in John 18.22, where Jesus is struck for perceived or wanting to imply insolence, but he does not curse the high priest here. However, he does speak the truth, which leads me to think that speaking the truth is different than reviling. And the cross-reference here is Exodus 22.28, where it says, quote, you shall not revile God nor curse a ruler of your people, end quote. So I don't think the problem is that Paul is bringing up the law and how he should be treated. It's the way he brought it up. Various commentaries make suggestions about why Paul didn't know who the high priest was, anything from his eyesight being poor to him having been away from Jerusalem for a while and there being confusion in the ranks of the priests. But it doesn't say And when he does find out it's the high priest, he doesn't exactly apologize, but he does admit that he shouldn't have done it. As a side note, in historical documents outside of the Bible, it says that Ananias was actually very corrupt and had been willing to kill people to get his power, and he was later assassinated. So the slap could have been along the lines of, you are guilty because I hit you, uh, one of the tactics that wicked people use. But after this unexpected result in his first sentence, Paul immediately changes or adjusts his tactics to try to reach the Pharisees. You recall that he was a Pharisee, and he refers to this in places like Philippians 3.5 and Acts 22.3. This isn't the first time that we found out that the Sadducees don't even believe the Bible. In fact, in, it's recorded in Matthew 22, starting at verse 23, and in Mark 12, 18, that Jesus was challenged by the Sadducees on this issue, and his final response to them after he explained certain things was that they were in error because, one, they didn't know the scriptures, and two, they didn't know the power of God. So if they are suppressing that, it becomes very difficult to talk to them. But we do hear of Pharisees being saved and really listening to Jesus as well. I can't think of anywhere in the Bible where it specifically mentions a Sadducee believing the gospel. I'm not saying they couldn't ever be saved or none of them were, but it's an example of where you have to start the conversation about the gospel with different groups. Paul could start one place with the Pharisees, but with people like the Sadducees, he would have to find a different place, a point of perspective that they would be willing to admit to the reality of things that the gospel addresses. So because of Paul's declarations in verse 10, it seems that it's more than a discussion. There must have been some physical jostling involved because the commander is worried that Paul will be severely harmed physically. So after Paul is moved to a safer location, the narrative moves to the fact that Jesus, the Lord, appeared to him again 
this seems to be one of four times that the Lord appears to Paul. Obviously, the first one is on the road to Damascus. Then there is also the thing that he refers to in 2 Corinthians 12, 2, and he speaks of it in the third person. In the context, though, it seems like he's talking about himself, but he's so in awe of what happened and he wants to be humble about it. So he's speaking of it differently. Then we had the incident in Acts 18, 9, where he was told that he didn't need to be afraid because he had a lot of work to do there in Corinth. And here it's similar, except he's also being told, in a sense, there will be hardship, but he should be encouraged. Notice that the Lord speaks positively of Paul's witness here in Jerusalem. He's not reprimanding him at all, and this gives more credence to the idea that Paul was previously only warned of hardship in coming to Jerusalem, not forbidden to go, and especially in light of the way that the Lord says, so you must also bear witness in Rome is a positive thing he's going on to. So this encouragement comes just as Paul, just before Paul finds out that a huge group of men, 40 men, have taken an oath to murder him. This comes across to me as a perverted oath, like they're considering, they're convincing themselves that they're being spiritual and being zealous for the law, but there isn't anything like this prescribed in the law. Then the plot is described very clearly, all the treachery and the lying. And this is where we learn that Paul has a sister and a nephew. In verse 17, it calls Paul's sister son a young man. But if you look at Strong's lexicon, it reminds us that younger just means younger than 40 years old. Now, some people say that because he took him by the hand, it means he was small. But have you not ever seen one adult man take another adult man's hand and pull him aside for something? That seems completely plausible when the commander here is so intent on getting a private conversation with this young man. In our Western culture nowadays, when we say young man, we can be referring to anyone old enough to talk. But in the translation here, he is a man. We don't know if this sister was older or younger than Paul, but if she's anywhere around his age, she's definitely old enough to have an adult son. And although it would make a good movie plot, it doesn't seem likely to me that he would enter the barracks by himself if he's very young. But another point in favor of him being an adult is the very clear, well-spoken way that he describes things to the commander. They indicate more experience with life. And in verse 21, he has the gumption to tell the commander, at least as a very firm suggestion, not to listen to or yield to the conspirators. So the commander takes all of this quite seriously. He still seems very impressed with the fact that Paul is a Roman citizen. And so in verse 23, there's quite the entourage, quite the guard that is set up to sneak away with Paul in the middle of the night. The third hour of the night is probably midnight. Paul even gets to ride on an animal. He doesn't have to walk like you would consider a bedraggled prisoner to do. Then the letter that the commander writes is made me laugh, where he said, I rescued him having learned he was a Roman citizen. That's not quite the way it happened at first. At the very end of this section, verse 33, we learned that Paul is delivered to Felix, whom we will learn more about in chapter 24, which is next. Thanks for listening. That is the Bible News Press segment for today. 
but not the end of our journey.